Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, the host of this podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here. A bit about me, I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur and investor who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. The Dear 20-something podcast started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful changemakers they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts, we're here to humanize the whole thing. You'll hear from successful trailblazers who will share the highs and lows of their 20s, and you'll also get words of wisdom from some experts who will speak on a certain topic relevant for 20-somethings. And then sometimes it'll just be me on the mic hosting an episode where I share recent reflection or story from my own life, as I too am navigating this wild decade. We're so happy to have you here. Let's get started. Today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Lauren Mackler. Lauren is the co-founder and CEO of CoFertility. Her winding road of a fertility journey led her to believe that everyone should have the opportunity to freeze their eggs, and that the egg donation experience should be made more positive and human-centered for everyone involved. Lauren also founded Uber Health, a product that enables healthcare organizations to leverage Uber's driver network to improve healthcare outcomes through patient transportation and delivery. Under her leadership, the business helped millions of patients get to the care they needed. Prior to that, Lauren helped launch Uber's core business throughout the East Coast and led the company's first experiments in healthcare national on-demand flu shot campaigns. She lives in Los Angeles with her husband and their miracle baby girl. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Lauren. Hi. Hello. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Everyone is probably noticing what I am noticing, which is you sound so crisp and clear. You've got a microphone and you are prepared. (laughs) Yes, I do. I love to be prepared, you know? I love it. Well, before we get into the meat of it, we like to start every show with a bit of a fun icebreaker. You can take this question any direction you want, professional, personal, fun, serious, whichever. But what is something new that you've learned in this past week? Ooh. I uh, <laughs> I learned that I should be cleansing my face for two whole minutes before rinsing off the cleanser. Did you know that? No. Also, I I don't think I can reveal myself my beauty routine because it's embarrassing. <laughs> I'm like I'm sort of anti a lot of that stuff because yeah. I think it's just kind of like the basics do the trick. But yeah, wait, where'd you learn this? I have a dear friend of mine who convinced me that it was time to like either get a facial or a massage or something and that she was going to make the appointment, which is like half the battle sometimes. Yeah, of course. And she was going to pick me up and bring me home afterward. Like what more do you want, right? And so we did that. We went to – we got facials in Venice, which was like this – I felt like I was like on vacation for did you go to den mother no we went to is it it's osea or os i don't know how to pronounce it osea malibu yeah Yeah. and it's like all natural amazing like products made of seaweed and i literally i walked in i was like oh my god i feel like i'm on vacation and it was the best like couple hours ever and the woman who did my facial was like asking me questions and she's like so how long do you wash your face for? I was like, I don't know. Like, I'm lucky if I wash my face. And she pointed out to me that I should be doing it for two minutes. Wow. Is it I is know. there like a sit, let it sit for a couple minutes? Or was it no, literally just like just literally like massaging and scrubbing it into your face? 
I know. You probably wow. thought I was going to say something about like how to run a business or No, I wanted that like answer. <laughs> I can't tell you how many answers like that we get and it's the best part and people like love it because you learn all these random things like yes. fun facts or quotes from books. Okay. Totally. Whoa. Yeah. That's crazy. I feel like if we polled the general public, I feel like that's like a, a one top 1% Okay. Would do more than that two minutes, right? Makes that me feel crazy. better because I thought, like, oh man, I'm really falling off here. Like, not yeah. gonna lie, sometimes, and I, I have a, a two year old, sometimes I use one of her baby wipes and like call that totally. washing my face. Like, totally. I wipe my face and I'm like, yep, I did it. <laughs> yeah. No, like, so, that's life. That's yeah. reality. You yeah. know? Yeah. I think too, sometimes not washing your face aggressively. Like maybe yeah. you need to do a little wipe here and there, whatever, yeah. some soap and water. Like actually is probably better for you. Like I don't mm-hmm. know. I think sometimes we get a little bit like we just – we're so obsessed with like wanting to be beautiful as a society and we just like try every little expensive gadget and yeah, cream and pill and whatever. And it's like – I don't know. Like maybe it's just like water and soap and let your oils do their thing and like – Yeah. I will say my – I feel good after I've washed my face, right? Yeah. And so – There's that. Yeah. But like, I definitely agree with you that I don't necessarily need the most expensive face cream on the planet to like live my life. Yeah. And I say that as someone who's had like multiple guests on the podcast who all run their own like beautiful beauty (laughs) brands. And like, I mean, no offense and people should still buy their stuff. But like, for me, I'm a little more eh. Yeah. I feel you. Okay. Wait. We in your intro heard about this miracle baby girl. We got another yes. hint, but she's two. Like, can we yeah. just get a little more before we dive in? Yeah. Like, what's her name? What's her personality? Yeah. Like, if you even have a photo on your phone near you, I'd oh love my to gosh. see. Yeah, this is Eden. Oh my god! Wait, <laughs> she why is, is she gorgeous? <laughs> I know. I got so lucky with this little girl. So yeah, Eden inspired by a bottle of wine that my husband and I saw before I was even pregnant. It was called Upper Eden. And I saw okay. it and I thought, if we have a baby and if it's a girl, like her name's going to be Eden. Because you just liked the name or did that I wine liked the name. No, the wine, I don't even remember if it was good wine, right? But I liked the meaning, this idea of paradise. And there was something about it. It was like, it's kind of like a classic thing, but not the most common name ever. And the minute I saw her, it confirmed that she was an Eden. But she is. She is my little paradise. She is the the sweetest part of every day. Mm, you know? That's so and she's like a really, really happy kid. And actually it was like the minute I held her in my arms, I thought, man, I have to build something in reproductive health. Like I had spent eight years at Uber and built this like healthcare thing at Uber. And I realized that like, if I'm going to spend time working, which I wanted to do, I want to give anybody who wants this feeling that I have right now, that, right? Like that's how I want to spend my time. It's like just helping anyone and everybody who wants to have a baby get there. Wow. That's so powerful. I think you do almost need that like awakening moment for everyone. It's different, right? Yep. To be crazy enough to go start something because it's the hardest, most insane thing, which you only know in hindsight, right? You never know when you commit to it. (laughs) You're like, and you're like, God, I wish I didn't. That was crazy. Why did I Um, do that? Yeah. Why did I do that? Yeah. But that's so beautiful. Okay. So she's healthy and good and two and just – 
absolutely beautiful. Congratulations. And Thank I know you, you had so mentioned much. too, you had had your own journey with yeah. Yeah. fertility. I'd love to hear just a little bit about it now and then we'll get into your story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it is a big part of my story. So I had been, I was just talking about this earlier today. I had pitched this idea of Uber Health at, to our executive leadership team at Uber, got this like, you know, internal support to go do it. And about a month or two later, I was diagnosed with an incredibly rare abdominal disease. So basically like woke up one morning with a pain in my side. I felt like someone had kicked me. I was like, what is this? Like nobody kicked me. Why do I feel this way? Turned out I had benign masses growing everywhere throughout my abdomen and pelvis. And while thankfully they were benign, they were potentially really harmful if in that they could cut off the functioning of my organs. And I learned that I'd have to, I'm literally, I'm like one of 155 people on the planet to ever get this disease. You should play the lottery, those odds. My God. And so I like went to see all these experts to figure out like, how am I going to deal with this disease? I learned that I would have to have a number of surgeries to remove the disease and that there was a very good chance I would lose my ovaries in the process. And I, at the time I had just started dating my now husband and was like not planning to have children anytime soon. And, but I wanted to know, like, if I want to have kids someday, like what options do I have? You know, if I lose my ovaries, like, can I freeze my eggs before I lose my ovaries? Like what options do I have? And given just how little is known about my disease, they didn't want to give me the hormones to freeze my eggs. And so they said, you know, egg donation might be your best bet because we're not going to freeze your eggs. So like, let's talk, you know, you might need an egg donor someday. And I just like, didn't know anything about that and started looking at it just because I'm a planner and I like to know what my options are. And I was really off put by what I saw. I couldn't believe sort of just how transactional egg donation was. And this idea that people get paid, you know, thousands of dollars for their eggs. And the more specific you get in terms of what you're looking for in an egg donor, the cash compensation goes up and up. And that you, you know, it's all done sort of anonymously, and you don't know who the person is. And like, it just felt out of alignment with who I am. And at the time, my sister actually decided to and offered to freeze her eggs and donate them to me in case I needed them someday. Whoa. Yeah, she she had already had two beautiful children. And she was like, look, I'd give my left arm if it meant you could be a mom someday. And so, yeah, she she had her eggs retrieved and donated them to me ahead of my surgeries so that I could go in sort of knowing like, okay, if I wake up and I have no ovaries, I have those eggs waiting for me. And that was an amazing gift. And I ended up having three surgeries. They were actually able to preserve my ovaries, so I didn't lose them. And ultimately was able to conceive Eden without using my sister's eggs. But I had never stopped thinking about egg donation and egg freezing and how, you know, egg freezing is this amazing science that exists that really can be game changing for so many people who want to have a child later in life. And yet it's so inaccessible and it's something that far too many people can't afford. We always say like the best time to freeze your eggs is when you can least afford it. The younger you are, the better your egg quality, the greater your egg quantity. And it's just unfortunate that it's really just out of reach for a lot of people. And so that's 
part of why. That's why we created co-fertility and we can talk more about it, but that's what sort of drove me to care so much about this space and to want something better to exist. I love it. Well, thank you for sharing your story. I think it's so powerful and you know, beautiful that you were able to kind of come out the other side with Eden, you know, whether yeah. she was yours biologically, your sister, yeah. whatever, you know, you have this beautiful child now. And I think what we don't, we talk about sometimes is egg freezing. We hear that, yep. you know, the Kardashians just talked about it in recent episodes. Yeah. But egg donation is something that we don't actually talk about as yes. much, which is really interesting because yeah. We don't, we don't need to, you know, freeze sperm usually. I feel like that's kind of uh, like yeah. less common. It's sperm donation we talk about. And then we talk about egg freezing. But like egg donation is almost this like taboo. Yeah. Taboo. Like, yeah. And I think there's, it's such an interesting, and I will say I transparently, I think about it and I struggle with it. Like even just being a woman, what does that mean? Being maternal, are these my eggs, are they? And so um, I think what's so powerful is like tapping into something in this world of reproductive health that, is very, very not discussed, not just egg freezing, but egg donation, you know? Well, I think it's actually, I, when I was thinking about starting this company, I was listening to an episode of the Foster Sisters podcast when- oh, yeah, of course. And the they- The first podcast, yes, right? Yes, exactly. And they actually, I, I'll never, I was driving down Larchmont Boulevard and one of them was like, egg donation is, is Hollywood's best kept secret. And I was like, oh my God, it is. Because if you think about it, right? Like we see all these women who are becoming mothers later in life in Hollywood, right? A lot of them talk very openly about surrogacy, which is wonderful. Like I'm so happy to see the conversation happening and people talking openly about it, but it's partially because it's really hard to keep surrogacy a secret right? Like if a celebrity announces that they had a baby and we had seen them over the previous nine months and they weren't pregnant, then it's like pretty obvious they used a surrogate, right? What is not something they need to share is an egg donor, right? So, you know, whose genetics that child came from is not something that the public can discern or understand. And so keeping it a secret is very possible. And so when you see different celebrities especially with those that are, you know, well into their 40s and sometimes even in their 50s and they talk about, you know, having a baby, maybe they were able to carry it because, you know, a lot of women that are older can carry a pregnancy using an egg donor's eggs. A lot of times those celebrities aren't mentioning that they use an egg donor, but that's likely the route, right? Unless they, you know, froze embryos from much younger days, which is also possible, but we find that they're often not opening up about using an egg donor, which is really interesting. Yeah, that's so interesting. And, you know, I think we see this in the celebrity world, but uh, we also, I think, probably all see this as humans, like in our everyday lives. Like, you know, I know some people that, you know, have had kids later, their moms had them later. And, you know, there's a little bit of like, and I obviously won't go into specifics, but there's a little bit of like, hmm, you know, I don't think anyone's comfortable sharing that if that did happen. Well, a lot of people are actually. So, so what's interesting, and this is where like, so I think like this is, we call it like one of it's fertility's last taboo, right? This idea of like having used an egg donor, being donor conceived or being an egg donor, right? Like, I just don't believe that it has to be something that's shameful or 
you know, something that needs to be kept a secret. But I think the way that it's been done is the reason it's been sort of shrouded in shame and secrecy. I think all of that is rooted in cash compensation, right? I think the fact that an intended parent paid someone 10,000, 20,000 or more for their eggs is partially where the shame comes from for all parties. I think some women may not be proud to say they took that money for their eggs. I think Mm -hmm. some intended parents may not be proud to say they paid that for eggs. And then I think a lot of, and there are studies that show donor conceived people are really disturbed by the fact that their parents paid that kind of money for their genetics. And so our model, and I should just share exactly what it is. Basically, yeah. So co-fertility, we offer women the opportunity to freeze their eggs for free when they donate half of the eggs retrieved to intended parents that can't otherwise conceive. So gay men who are hoping to become dads, people who struggle with infertility, cancer survivors, and more people who need an egg donor to have a baby, right? Like why should they have to, to pay someone for their genetics, right? When so many women are, we actually hear a lot that these, that there are women who like don't donate their eggs because they feel off put by the cash compensation, right? When they otherwise would be more than happy to help, but grow another family, And in our case, they're also preserving some of their own fertility for their own future. And so we take cash compensation out of it. And in a lot of cases, the intended parents and the donors get to meet on our platform as well. And so it takes away this feeling of like, what if I'm walking down the street one day and I like see someone who looks like me? Am I going to wonder if that's my child, right? I think that's something that people are afraid of with egg donation. And what we do, we, we call it disclosed donation where, you know, you meet up front and maybe, you know, you don't have to have an ongoing relationship, but maybe you get a photo once a year or, you know, you exchange emails every so often. So like, it's not, so you know how many children are out there, you know who they are, that kind of thing doesn't have to feel so secret and shameful. Yeah. And it's more human centered, right? It's like this idea that like, wow, it's, we are just a bunch of humans living on a floating rock and mm-hmm. like, we should all just like be kind and like know each other and support each other and yeah. have transparency and use software to do that. Yeah. It is a new approach for sure. I'm curious and there's no like right answer to any yeah. of this. And these are the questions I ask, but like with the whole paying different amounts for different qualities. Yeah, I hate that. That's, I hate that. But I understand in some ways, like if you are from a certain culture and let's say there's two gay men who both happen to be from the same culture, hypothetically, or let's say one's from one culture and the other's from another and they're using the sperm of one and maybe one an egg donor from another. Like I understand wanting that. Yeah, totally. How do you guys think about that as a platform? And like, because basic supply and demand, if you're selling t-shirts, will take out any sort of stigma of anything is like, yeah, we want a lot of mediums and there's not many extra larges. Like the mediums, you know, if we, we have yeah. to buy more and if there's less of them, we'll charge more. You know, like yeah. you, it's different for regular businesses. So how do you think about that piece? What website are you on where like an extra large t-shirt costs, costs more. more than a medium t-shirt? Right. That's like, we wouldn't put up with that as a society. But you can control right? the supply. So you can control yeah, you can you can, like, mediums. Totally. Yeah. But we would never be like, ugh, like the extra larges are harder for us to source and, you know, it's harder for us to make and it's more fabric or whatever. So we're going to charge more. Like we wouldn't be down with that culturally speaking or wouldn't work, wouldn't fly. Yeah. I feel the same way here where like, you know, 
and initially when I looked at this, like I'm someone who's Jewish, right? So I thought, okay, if I wanted a Jewish egg donor, what would that mean from, you know, a cash compensation standpoint? And because it's harder to find a Jewish egg donor, it's more, way more expensive than finding someone who isn't Jewish. And like the same goes if you're looking for someone who's a specific ethnicity, like another, you know, race or something like that. And I just, I don't think it's right. And we just find that our model appeals to a really diverse audience and a really diverse group. And so we don't have to do that for these incredible women with incredible backgrounds. Like we have absolutely a very diverse group, but really when it comes down to like the like careers and ambitions and hopes and dreams and passions of the women that are signing up to do this, it's incredible. And so, you know, I think that like, for now it's working and we don't have to like think about it so much. Right. I think like intended parents just want someone who's as unique as they are. And so yeah. it's funny. My mom always used to say every pot has its cover, like in a sort of relationship setting. Yeah. And I kind of look at this the same way. Right. I think Where, it's yeah. Yeah. And I think it's honestly, it's, it's kudos to your team and will continue to be for your team to find that diverse group because yeah. like every, you know the language better than I, but like every intended parent and every egg donor, there is a match out there mm-hmm. and it just requires like finding the right people on both yeah. sides. But it's, yeah. it's it's a weird thing. Like, I mean, I also have seen some movies on this stuff where it's like, I want them to be smart and I want them to be this and I want them to be this tall and all this yeah. kind of crazy stuff. That's probably what the market looks like without you guys is like, it's just priced based on who wants yeah. what. I don't know if that's right or not, but. Yeah, we try to like, bring forth who someone is as like a whole human, right? Like, and we definitely like, we know these women, like we'll, we'll ask your height, we'll ask your eye color. Like those are definitely relevant characteristics for us to know when someone wants to match with someone, right? Like they maybe want someone who looks like they could be a part of their family, but there's so much more to who someone is than those factors, you know? Like we ask like about, what are your short-term goals? What are your long-term goals? Like, what are your values? You, yeah. Who, who are three people you'd invite to dinner and why? And what's your favorite book? And what's, you know, there's so much more to someone. Yeah. I think that's where like with a lot of these like dating platforms, we get it kind of wrong a little bit where it's like yeah. so quantitative and I think bringing out the more of the human side. I mean, it gets back to what your totally. bio said, right? Like, it's really just about humans yep. <laughs> and yeah, I'm just bringing life into the world and making yeah. it as human as possible, I think. And what's really, I mean, it's the best feeling in the world to make a match because not only are we helping intended parents grow their family after what typically is a very long road, but we're also, I think intended parents get excited because they're also empowering this younger woman to like go live her life on her terms without this like imminent sort of pressure around her biological clock, you know? And so it's like a two-sided thing that really feels good for both. I love that. I think that's really powerful. And storytelling is such a huge part of this. Like I imagine there's something, and I don't know if you guys do this, but like there's like that number of, you know, babies in the world that you guys can take credit for because you made the match and like, do you guys have any rituals around that number or how have you thought about quantifying like at the end of it all? Because we're yeah. talking about all the human pieces that go yeah. into the match, but at the end of it all, you've like popped out some kids in the world. What does it look like in your team and how have you guys like built that ritual? 
Yeah, we definitely have a culture of like celebration. I think it's really important to stay close to our members and the feelings that they feel and, and the excitement that they feel when this happens. Like Eden, actually, when I say like, we made a match, she goes, we made a match, right? Like there's a two-year-old cheering for these, these people, right? So there's definitely, a, I guess, a ritual around celebration that our team really enjoys, but that's sort of the beginning of someone's journey. You know, I think at that point they move forward with the match and they, in a lot of cases, get to meet each other and then they confirm that they want to move forward. And then they like, they move into a screening and then they have the retrieval. And so it's a process. And then from there, embryos are created and then embryos are transferred and then hopefully a beautiful, healthy pregnancy. So it's a lot of steps and it's a, it's a long journey that we're on with a lot of different parties in the process. And so I look forward to like, you know, meeting these babies and, you know, getting to like really enjoy that as a team, but it takes a while to get there. Yeah. We forget at pregnancy. I'm like, oh yeah, that is nine months plus all the yeah. matching plus the test. I'm like, oh, you got a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But that's so beautiful that you guys have that celebration and it's cool that you get to be there with them and like figuring out what are those insertion points. So like you've made the match then like, when do you show up again? You know, like, Mm -hmm. and that's probably a really interesting thing too, to figure out, like, do they want you there? Do they not want you? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, cause you're like, you're like the matchmaker. Like I think I keep thinking of dating, but like, yeah, got them together. So like, do they still want you around or are they like, we got it. Thank you. Yeah. I think every match is different, but it totally does feel, it's funny. My first job out of school I worked at an ad agency and also I had no idea what I wanted to do out of school. And I binge watched Mad Men and was like, oh, I should go do that. And so I applied at an ad agency and then I worked at an ad agency for four years. But I remember like part of our titles, the, the company was had like an ampersand in the name. And so their whole thing was that like, we're all more than just what our titles are. And so you had to have three other things that you were besides your, you know, marketing supervisor or whatever I was. And so one of mine was a klutz, which like totally still am. Another was skilled gift giver, which I like to still believe that I am as well. I remember really, really struggling to come up with the third one. And I just decided that I had always wanted to be a matchmaker. And so I was just going to say, and matchmaker, even though I wasn't yet. So I manifested this. So now I really am a, ma- a matchmaker of a, of a different kind. But I swear I put that in motion. That yeah, you were you were psychic in some ways. Yeah, for that's sure. really cool. That's so funny. I think like whether you're matchmaking in the traditional sense or matchmaking in the sense that you are now, it's like just being really really good with people. Yeah, and, like really understanding how to assess humans. I've always thought it's such a hard thing to do, like pairing people, taking two yeah. different worlds. What's like, so for the listeners that we have, and you know, I wasn't expecting to go this deep on this stuff, but I actually think yeah. this is so valuable. Yeah. Like a lot of our listeners are 20 somethings, mm-hmm. early 30 somethings. Yeah. What's like the quick hits of like what you need to know about your fertility, what your options are? Like, let's say someone is 31 and currently single or yeah. 24 and in a loving relationship. Like, you know, what are those things that you're like, hey, if you are thinking about having a kid at some point in your future, yeah. these are just general things to know. 
So my feeling on this is that like, it doesn't matter if you're in a relationship or not. I think it's really about like, what are your goals and like, when do you want them to happen? Right. So you could be 24 and in the happiest, most beautiful, loving relationship ever. And you could be like in med school and planning to go into residency after that. And you could know that like your life is going to be pretty dedicated to your education and your training for the next decade plus. And you and that amazing partner of yours could be pretty clear with each other that like, hey, we're really focused on this part of our lives. And while someday we want to have kids, like now is not the time, nor is this other period of our lives, right? And so someone like that would be a great candidate to say, hmm, perhaps I do want to proactively freeze some eggs, knowing that it's going to be at least another 10, maybe, you know, 12 years before I want to have kids. Like, while of course, at 34, 35, 36, that person could absolutely get pregnant unassisted, you know, for sure. If that person wants to have two kids or three kids, you know, every time, like between those children, you're aging and it's harder and harder as you get further into your thirties and into your early forties to have children unassisted and your eggs from your mid twenties are way better to do IVF with than the eggs from your mid to late thirties. And so that person's a great candidate to do it. If you're like, you mentioned someone who's 31 and single, you know, I've certainly had friends who like their number one goal was like, let me find a partner and let me make babies as quickly as possible because they care more about making babies than like finding the right person to do it with. Like, that's cool. If that's your thing, like totally get it. But I'm someone, I already said I'm a planner, right? So I like having all my like bases covered as much as possible. I think the thing that I've learned in this role is that you never know if you're someone who is going to be impacted by infertility and there's information that your body can give you now. And so getting your AMH, so that's your like ovarian quantity hormone, getting that checked is a good thing. And that's something our team can help you with if you're interested. Or, you know, one of my co-founders, she always says like, I did a lot of cool things in my 20s. Unfortunately, egg freezing wasn't one of them. And so (laughs) she like deeply, deeply regrets that she didn't freeze her eggs in her 20s. And then, you know, it took her over four years to have her son. I have another co-founder who started trying to, she got married pretty young, started to have, try to have a child at 28 and realized that she was someone who struggled with infertility. And, you know, you just don't know, right? And so information is everything. And I really think that like having that conversation and realizing like, wow, I am of, you know, the right now in this moment, you are the most fertile you will, you're never going to get more fertile with time, right? Like it never goes in that direction. And so um, I don't say that to be fear-mongering at all. It's more just so that you have that awareness and knowing and you can get checked and sort of do something empowering about it, right? Like I think long are the days of like the person who froze her eggs, like did it because she was single and like was afraid she wouldn't find a partner. I think now it's becoming this thing where it's like, hell yeah, I froze my eggs because I did this empowering thing. 
So, and I want choice and I want choice. That's what it's about, right? Choice, choice. Like you have that flexibility. Actually was at a dinner recently. This woman is 33 and she was like, I froze my eggs last month and I just went on a first date last week. And she was like, it was the best I have ever felt on a first date because I did not have this like, oh my God, is he the one kind of feeling? Like I wasn't like pressured by my biological clock. I knew that like I can take my time and decide if this is the right person or not. Like so powerful. How good that must feel. Yeah. I think what's one thing that you're also debunking too that not enough people talk about is it's actually not necessarily as age specific as the media makes it be. It's really Mm -hmm. actually about your unique body. And even just like saying like, you know, there might be like a 28 year old, like you said, who's struggling with infertility and then like a 38 year old that gets pregnant naturally. Yeah. It's just really hard to bucket these things into yeah. like generalizations. Like you hit this age and you're toast, you know, or like you hit yes. this age and you're good. And yeah. I think taking this like more nuanced approach of like, mm-hmm. doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your relationship. You should just like get these things checked and just like yeah. have information is yeah. refreshing. Like that's not really what you hear in the media. It's a lot of yeah. like when you reach X age, this this is when you need to do this. Yeah. I don't subscribe to that. I really yeah. don't. I was just going to say the other thing, because of the role that I'm in, I now meet with so many women in their late 30s and 40s who in tears will tell me, I wish this company existed when I was in my 20s because I would have done this in a heartbeat. And now here she is in her 40s wishing she had her own eggs frozen, you know, and she just didn't know that her fertility was going to be a thing, right? And so- whether you move forward with egg freezing with us or not doesn't matter to me. I just want as many people to like be aware that they may have these issues later on. You know what I mean? And that like knowing now is better. So And just yeah, knowing what's out there. I think that's what's really important and yeah. having the information. Totally. It's question on like your background in the Uber health world yeah, yeah. into this. Like, have you always been super passionate about the world of health? I know you mentioned at the beginning about, you know, when Eden was born, you were like, oh my gosh, like I need to devote my life to this stuff. But like, it sounds like you've always had this passion for health or you just coincidentally just picked a career that's all about it. Yeah, yeah. Walk me through that. I'm so curious. So I went to Northeastern in Boston, which is a co-op school. So you get to do these like six-month internships like six month full-time internships. And I did one of mine at a place called the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, which is like an amazing nonprofit, mostly because there was like other people in my sorority who had done co-ops there. And I thought like, oh, they really like their job. So I should do that. Not because I cared about healthcare. And I remember their biggest campaign was trying to get more doctors to wash their hands because it would save lives. And I remember being like, wait, what? Like, These are supposed to be the smartest people amongst us. And we're trying to convince them to wash their hands. Are you kidding me? Like, if you tell them it will save lives, like, why, like, isn't this, like, come on. And I just remember thinking, like, healthcare is so broken. I need to run as far away from it as possible. Like, it is just ridiculous, seems really boring and, like, unsexy. And I wanted nothing to do with it. And doctors don't even wash their hands. Like, yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So that was my like 21 year old self and then graduated, decided I'd go work at an ad agency, like truly like tried to get as far away from healthcare as possible. And then 
I was lucky enough to join Uber in the very early days. And really, you know, just we were only in like 12 cities at a time. Everyone thought I was crazy for going to a taxi company. They're like, why are you doing that? What's wrong? Like, what? And I was like, no, just trust me. I think it's going to be big. Like, I have this feeling. Like, I I think it's going to be huge. And while I was at Uber, we were doing these like on-demand sort of stunts where we had puppies on demand where like we would put like adoptable puppies in cars and you could press a button and the puppies would come to you. Or we would put ice cream trucks on a platform and you would press a button and ice cream truck would come to you on a random day. And I remember thinking like, wow, that's fun. But like, what if we did something like important, like on-demand flu shots, right? Where like, maybe if we put nurses in cars, people might actually get their flu shot if we like improved access, right? And so I like put on this, I led this stunt and it went really well. And internally people were really excited. Like, wow, we got so much interest from our customers, but also like, there's a lot of press about this. Amazing. And is this for the flu shots? Was that that yeah. stunt? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what happened was like, from there, I became Uber's like de facto healthcare person. Like nobody else internally cared about it, but I was just like, I think there's something to this. And there was an article that came out that was like, you know, Uber does on-demand flu shots. Like maybe Uber's the Uber of healthcare. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, there's so much more opportunity for us in this space. And the time, and I think this is important career advice for anyone, which is like finding a way to sort of differentiate yourself amongst your peers. And so I saw this opportunity for Uber in healthcare. What we had done with that stunt was like bringing care to people. But I thought like, what happens if we bring people to care? And by sort of carving out this healthcare arm of Uber, which ultimately is like a multi-billion dollar opportunity for Uber, I also then differentiated myself and felt really good about what I was doing because I realized that it would like have impact on people's lives. And so that's really what it was about for me. It was like, wow, I can like spend my time helping people and growing the business and I can like own this area. And so it just sort of happened that way. And then I learned that like, we need more people thinking creatively in healthcare. It is super unsexy for sure, but it doesn't have to be right. If you're passionate about the problem you're solving, it can be super sexy. Absolutely. That's so cool to hear. And I think your line, this is like a line I'm going to use now, like that sounds fun, but what if we did something important? Is it- <laughs> I think more people should ask it like, huh, it sounds fun, but hold on. What if we did something important? I don't know. Maybe just tossing that out. Yeah, yeah. It's like not a bad question to be asking. And yeah. I think a lot of 20-somethings are at their jobs now and they say, huh, leadership, that sounds fun. But what if we did something important? That's like yeah. a big Gen Z millennial yeah. thing. And so I think hearing that story too of like carving out the niche for yourself, figuring out how you yeah. can be differentiated and then running with it is so powerful. And being relentless because internally, before I went to our executive leadership team with it, I went to some other people who I thought like I could get on board to like get momentum from. And I was actually told Uber will never get into healthcare and that I should get a new hobby. Ooh. Yeah. And I was like, tell me that. Now I'm just going to like push even harder for yeah. it. You didn't know who they were speaking to. You're like, yeah. deep down, I'm actually an entrepreneur. Yeah. So that's yeah. just motivation. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. So. Wow. I'm, Good I'm for you. For that. And then you obviously scaled that and started co-fertility and mm-hmm. the rest is history. And now you're just building that. Yeah. 
Yeah. So exciting. Well, I want to be mindful of your time. I feel like I could keep grilling you with more questions and we ended up just going off into egg freezing and what you're building, which was so fun. One final question for you. We ask this to all our guests. Mm-hmm. what's one piece you kind of hinted at some stuff but what is like one piece of advice you would give to any 20 something and this is across all careers across all gender what's that one piece of advice I think my team would be mad at me if I didn't say freeze your eggs <laughs> so well, all that's, the women out there freeze yeah. your eggs okay yeah, yeah I do think that is an important piece of advice because I think it opens you up to so many things, right? Like I think it leads to gender equality, right? Like no guy, you know, is sitting here like planning their future, worried about their clock ticking, right? And so if you can take some of that pressure off, it kind of evens the playing field in a way that I get excited about in the workforce. But otherwise I think like being intentional with your time and making sure that you're like, learning or growing in what you're doing. And if you're not, that you're reevaluating that and figuring out like, is where I am a place that I can either learn or grow? And if not, move on. Like change is hard, but like, and risk taking is hard, but it's the best stuff comes from it. I love it. Spoken as someone who's taken a lot of risk recently with this company. So yeah. And going to a taxi company, right? Like yeah. I went, <laughs> like that was, I took a pay cut to go to a taxi company. Best decision ever. You took a pay cut from the ad agency. So that's quite the pay cut. <laughs> yeah. To go to a yeah. taxi company. Yeah. yeah. But it worked out. Yeah. I mean, that's like without risk, there's no reward. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you have to time your bets and do them at, you know, make sure that it's something you can do with the expenses that you have or, you know, the situation that you are in life. But if you don't take any risks, like it's unlikely you're going to have step function change growth. 100%. Someone once told me too that like, and this was kind of a, a sad way to look at it, but it was like, no one really expects much of 20 somethings. Like we all kind of expect that you're going to fail and stumble. So take risks. And if you fail, that's expected. Like yeah. if it goes well, it goes well. And oh my gosh, for a, you know, 20 something, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Good for you. But it's this idea that like, you know, unfortunately or fortunately that like the expectations are low. So go for it. Why not? Who cares? I, you know? I have to ask, has anyone on your podcast ever brought up this book? Yeah. She was on like my one desk? of my first guests. She's okay, a friend. So, Meg I just, so the defining decade, Meg J, I actually recently wrote to her. And this is a signed copy from her. She mailed me a signed copy because <gasps> in my mid-20s, I read this book right when it came out. I okay. When did it come I, out? I don't it remember. It came out in 2013. Cool. 10 years ago. Is, oh, my gosh. That is, I joined Uber in 2013. Whoa. So I read this book right around the same time. I quit my job at my ad agency, broke up with my live-in boyfriend, took this risk. Like this book completely changed the trajectory of my life. And there's a TED talk that goes with it. If anybody isn't ready for the book version, I started with the TED, the TED talk was my gateway drug into that book, but <laughs> it made me realize that like, you can't count someone out who's in their twenties and that you can make really intentional choices in your twenties that set you up for a really incredible future. And I really think that I'm sure I would have lived a fine life had I not read this book and changed a lot of things, but the 
place I'm in now is just so different than where I would have been otherwise. A hundred percent. I actually feel similarly the before and after of reading that book. I feel like for a lot of people and it's not just professional, like so much of this conversation is touched on the personal stuff, like love and, you know, having kids and all that stuff. Friendships. Friendship. Yeah. Yeah. She's incredible. And I'm actually, I don't think I can say this. I'll tell you something after about her because, you know, she likes writing books and there may be more in the future. Who knows? Yeah. But she's just incredible. And I think like the fact that you were writing to her too also is so cool and telling her your story. She told me I was the real deal and I'll never forget it. Yeah. She didn't tell me that. Well, I (laughs) I wrote to her right at the beginning of co-fertility and I was like having some imposter syndrome about starting a company and being a CEO for the first time. Yeah. And yeah, she helped me sort of get, get over that. Powerful. Powerful stuff. Yeah. Where can everyone find you on socials? And if they want to learn more about like co-fertility resources, where should they go? I am at Lauren Mackler, M-A-K-L-E-R. But please check us out at Freeze by Co on Instagram and TikTok. And if you're curious about your fertility or want to learn more, go to cofertility.com slash freeze. Perfect. Love it. Thank you. It's a great name yeah. too, Co-Fertility. Thank you. It's so good. So well done. Amazing. Well, thanks for being here, Lauren. This was super fun. Yeah, I loved it. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear 20-something. If you enjoyed it, you can give us a follow over at Dear 20-something on Instagram or subscribe here or anywhere you get podcasts. 